Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Lord, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful word. And we do pray today, God, that you will awaken us to the wonder of your word. I pray by your spirit that you will open our heart eyes and our heart minds, Lord God, to discern the things that you're speaking to each one of us, Lord, whether we are seasoned veterans of the church, Lord God, or whether we are people who are cautiously looking for the first time. God, I thank you that you're here and you have a word for every one of us. So help us here, Lord. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a few photos that I would like to show you of my little boy. Uh, if we can have a look. There he is. This is at Bon Nui Harbour. And uh, he is seven, going on eight. He's about this tall. You've probably seen him running around Judah. And uh, this is him doing one of the things that he loves the most to do. You know, it's that time of the year where the sun is starting to shine and he cannot wait to get back down to Bonwe to throw himself off of terra firma and fly through the air of a height probably eight, nine times as high as him into the water. Do you want to have a look at some more? There's another one of his brother. There they go. If you go on a little bit more, it'll give you a bit of perspective. There's that little man swimming at the bottom, and there he is sat on the steps. Look how high that is for a seven-year-old boy. You know, last summer we were down there, and he wasn't just jumping off the pier. He was jumping off the highest point of the bunker, right? And when you see 20-year-old guys, you know, like tough, standing there, and they're going... <laughs> and he comes up and waits his turn patiently. He gets to the edge and just jumps. You hear them saying to each other, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, the point that I'm trying to make as I get going today is that he wasn't always that way. If you backtrack a year, a year ago, uh, Heidi and I and the family were in Zimbabwe for a month. We had a fantastic time. But leading up to that, uh, Judah was going to swimming lessons because swimming pools are a big part of the culture in Zimbabwe. Most people kind of in our circles have got swimming pools and we as parents were fairly, you know, we wanted to know that the little guy could swim and he was safe around the water. And so he probably went to lessons for more than a year leading up to that. Um, and you'd go along and sit on a, on a Saturday morning and watch him. Sure. And you think that these swimming coaches have got the patience of a saint, you know? And it's really slow progress because, let's be honest, you know, in winter over here, only, only the few kind of really brave people are the ones that go and swim in the ocean uh, and it's a lot more inconvenient to pack up and go down to you know like aqua splash or whatever it is so they don't get a lot of practice and it was quite slow going but you know in the month that we were in Zimbabwe he swam nearly every day in a swimming pool and you just won't believe the difference in that one month time and his progress to when we came back and how he was swimming in his lessons on a Saturday. I want to make a point today because I'm talking about confidence and the importance of confidence for us as believers. You know, I've come to observe that swimming coaches, at least 50% of their job is to get the children confident in the water. And the other, whatever percentage it is, is actually to teach them the skills of swimming. 
and I have seen it with my own eyes. When a child loses their fear of the water, they grow in their ability so much faster. And my point today is, the confidence that you possess inside of you plays a huge impact on the way that you live for Jesus and for the way that you grow in Jesus. And I want to look at that a little bit today. I want to ask you today, how confident are you? Just take a moment and do a little personal inventory in your life. How confident are you to share the gospel with somebody? How confident are you to come into the presence of the Lord and worship freely? How confident are you when it comes to time for prayer, when praying for things in your life? How confident are you when you sin to come before the Lord in repentance? These are all extremely key areas of what it means to grow as a Christian. How confident are you at finding your place in the body of Christ and serving? Hey? Just take a moment and think about that. We're going to talk about it a lot today. And the passage that we're looking at is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews is a book that is written to Jewish converts who have become Christians, but who are now wavering in their confidence and considering going back to Judaism. We don't know who the writer of this book is for sure. Some people have some ideas, but no one is exactly sure. But the point of the writer is to speak into that situation where Christians are wavering in their confidence. And so we're going to read together. Uh, if you can, turn with me if you're happy to. Otherwise, just sit back and relax and listen. I'll read it to you. We're looking in Hebrews chapter 10, reading from verse 19. And I want to look at this passage in three sections, if that's okay with you. The writer says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. I like that. I think that's interesting. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching that wonderful day when Jesus will come back right let's pause there for a moment first thing I want to my first point today the first thing I want to say is that we have confidence now you might be sitting there and thinking mm, maybe not so much me but the writer declares a statement we've got it we have confidence today. When you look at that Greek word, it's the word parasia. And this is what I'm talking about today when I talk about confidence. I really want you to get this today. Free 
and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Hey? Boldness. Assurance. Just let, let me say that again and let those words settle. I want you to say, I understand what that means. I don't feel like that's me or yes, that's me. Let's just work out where we are in relation to these statements. Courage means, or f- sorry, confidence means free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Boldness and assurance. I want to read you a few examples where this word comes up in other texts. In first is Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Confidence with the gospel right here. When they saw the courage, that's the word parisia, of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were ordinary people like you and I. But when folks observed them, they realized that these people were full of courage. That's God's plan for you. Ephesians 6.19 goes on to say, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, word, speak sorry, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That's who you are. That's who God's made you to be. Amen. With the gospel. Now you're sitting there thinking, yes, that's me. And some of you are thinking, "Mm, doesn't sound like me. How can we get that gap closed so that you can declare yes? Confidence in worship. 1 John 3, 21 says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I know what it's like to come to church for argument's sake on a Sunday and just feel like, Lord, I don't deserve to be here. I am not in the right place. I shouldn't be here. My heart's not right. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm not confident before the Lord and I don't participate and I feel like an outsider. That's not God's will for you. That's the devil's will for you. That's not the will of God for you. Confidence in prayer. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask for anything according to His will, He hears us. When you pray, do you feel that confidence as you pray? Or are you there, mm, I feel like I'm pulling the arm on a one-armed bandit and we'll see. It might come up, it might not. Do you know what I'm saying? Spiritually. That confidence that God wants you to have is that whenever you pray, whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, it will be done. What about confidence in repentance? Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with parisia, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's really important that we know that we know that at any time, We are welcome in the presence of God to come and repent. All right. So there's a few examples of that word in action. How is it possible then that the writer can be so assured that we have confidence? And I really want to try and take a massive idea and quickly center it on one or two verses. Um, In a sermon, it's easy to do that. In life, it's difficult to keep reassuring ourselves. But I want you to just get the basis of what we're talking about so you can know, 
I have confidence, right? Uh, In the passage that we read today, if you go back a few verses, slightly before, in verse 12, Greg shared about this a few weeks ago. This is what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 12. But when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand. And what I want to convey to you today is you only sit down when you're assured the job is done. And the reason that right now Jesus is in heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, is because it is finished. It's done. It's done. There's nothing left to do. Don't let the devil speak that lie into your mind today that Jesus still has to do something else. He's done it. You can be assured of that. And then going on two verses to verse 14, I love this. The writer says, For by one sacrifice, listen carefully now, he has made perfect. He has made in the past perfect forever those who are being made holy. Two things. Has made perfect, being made holy. What does that mean? Let me quickly explain that to you. You are body, soul, spirit. There are three parts of you. In your spirit, you are perfectly restored as a Christian. Right now, as you sit in this place, nothing in terms of your sin stands before you and God. Jesus has paid it all. Your soul is in the middle of being transformed. It's a process, right? So your spirit is transformed. Your body, I mean your soul, sorry. Your, your mind, your intelligence, your emotions. That is being made holy. Every moment of every day. Right. The spirit of God inside of you, in that perfect place, is permeating the rest of you as a character. And you are being made holy. Day in, day out. You need to understand that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work with you. Without your participation, that is still happening, even ever so slowly. But the more we participate in that process, the faster, obviously, it takes place. And your body, this earth suit that you live in, yes, you can get prayed for to be healed and you will be healed. Yes, you can die and be raised from the dead even, but guess what? One day, it will be over. Your body will die and not get up again. And my point being is that when Jesus comes back, he will take this broken body and give us a brand new one that will never decay again. Some of us are getting that much more than the other younger ones. Amen. All right. How can we have confidence? Just think about this for a moment. Because Jesus died to pay the penalty once and for all for your sin. And then as a Christian, you are loved. You are accepted. You are received. You can't behave better to make Jesus love you more. He loves you completely. If you get your head around the magnitude of that statement, you'll find confidence rising in your soul. You are loved. You are cherished. 
you are favoured, you are accepted. You know, when you wake up and have a bad day, God doesn't frown at you anymore. When you're naughty, he doesn't want to smack you. Alright? You are loved and accepted and favoured of God. That sounds too good to be true? Yes, it is. Way too good to be true, but I'm thankful for it and I receive that in my life. Amen. So we are, we do have confidence. My second point today is let's live like it. Amen. This is where the rubber hits the road. How do we get from that truth to actually manifesting it in our lives on a daily basis? I love what the writer says, and I'm going to read it for you very briefly again. Three things that we can do to show the fruit of the confidence that Christ has achieved for us. Verse 22, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. You know that word sincere means um, the same all the way through. There's no shadow or turning in your heart. It's just confidence. It's, it's accepting who you are in Jesus and coming in sincerity. You know, like um, what I am on the outside, like rock candy, if you will. That same message runs from end to end. No matter where you break that candy, it's the same. How you live out your confidence in a daily way is how you draw near to the Lord. I want to tell you, you have complete freedom to come before Him confident and assured. That confidence has nothing to do with the thoughts that you have right before you come to church. Those not great thoughts or that fight that you had with that important person in your life. Or, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, those aren't great but they do not cause God to hold you at arm's length. You can come in worship and repentance. And his arms are wide open every time. So when we come in worship, let's be confident that our God welcomes us into his presence. Every single time, no matter who we are or what we've done. The devil's lying to you if you believe anything else from that. And we're going to talk about him in a minute. The second point. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Fix your eyes of faith on the finish line and run straight. Don't let anything cause you to stumble or distract you. Confidence before God is saying that I'm starting here, my destination is there, nothing will stop me, I will always strive for that line. That's living confidently before the Lord. No matter what happens, no matter how difficult it may be in the human realm, I trust God and I run straight and true. Because He's waiting for me at the finish line. He's waiting for me. And my third point, and this is a massive thing of where we need to grow. The writer goes on to say, and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We are called upon as part of our confidence to find our place in the body. The church has taught too much before that the job of ministry is the pastor's job. And we are just here to sit and listen and grow and go home. No. We are all ministers of the gospel. There's the underlying truth. God is calling all of us Every single person in this room, without a shadow of a doubt, there's a place for you in the body. And you've been called upon to encourage every single other person around you. 
To be confident in who you are in the body. To be confident in the gifts that God has put in you. You have them. You have them. You must choose whether you open that box and take it out or not. If you don't, you will suffer in your own walk. You'll become one of those people who sits in a pew who becomes critical of everything else that's going on in the church. A consumer. Instead of saying, hey, look what I've got in my box to give. Amen. You have a place in this church. You have a place in the body of Christ. You have gifts and talents that Christ has put in you to benefit the people around you and to grow you. That is living in confidence and spurring one another on. We do that when we take our place and we stand shoulder to shoulder for the glory of God. Amen. Let's live like it. My third point today, I mentioned earlier on, you have an enemy. His name is the devil. Every good thing that God has planned for your life, he planned the opposite. He will do everything that he can to lie to you, to steal from you, and to kill you, and drag you into the pit of hell with him. He will even use you to take other people with you. That is who the devil is, okay? Please can we be very clear today. God and the devil are not friends. They don't have the same plan for your life. God wants to bless you and prosper you and see you grow and be fulfilled in every element of your life. The devil's job is simply to come because he's jealous and spiteful and spurned to do the exact opposite in any way he can to take you away. He is, the Bible describes, the father of lies. And all he does all day is lie, 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 lie. He's not your friend. Amen. Are you sure? Maybe you're not. I hope today you're convinced. Let's look at our second portion today. Uh, verses 26 to 31. Let me read. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If you are not for the Lord, if you are not in His family, if you're not what we call a Christian, the Bible talks about you as being an enemy of God. That doesn't mean that's your permanent situation. Today that can change. The power is in your hands, okay? Uh, anyone who rejected the law of Moses, this is in the Old Testament, died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That is heaviness going on right there. I want you to understand, that's not play-play sin we're talking about. For we know in him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Hmm. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right? Now, if you're like me, and you read that first sentence, the bit that says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice of sins is left. And you're sitting there thinking, have I lost my salvation? 
Have I sinned just too much? Is God withdrawn His grace from my life? Right. This is the place that this, the Jewish Christians have come to now, where they received Jesus. And now they were in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I just want to be very clear right here. What we are talking about is not something that you accidentally do. Okay? If you're like me and you sin regularly, this is not talking to us if we are at a place of recognizing our sin and saying, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I can do that 10 times a day and I haven't fallen into that category, I don't believe. What they're talking about there is people who are about to say, this Jesus lark is a load of rubbish. I am enough of it. I've had my fill. I was walking with Jesus, but I've chosen to go back to Judaism. And I'm going to hold on to the law and all of that. And this is where it says there's no sacrifice for sins anymore for you. Because there's one sacrifice. And when we accept Jesus, we receive that once and for all sacrifice. And we live and stay in that place. I want you to understand the devil's job is to take you as a Christian and talk you out of your faith. To talk you, to walk away from all the good things that God has for you and has done for you. How does he do that? There's four key ways I want to talk about very quickly. Number one, by getting you to doubt the nature and the character of God. By causing you to come to the place where you actually don't think God's good anymore. You can't walk away from God if you think he's good. Number two, by getting you to doubt the changes that are taking place in your life. That's another way that he attacks you. You're not changing. How have you changed? Still the same old sin, same old attitudes. Maybe you never even became a Christian. That's the devil whispering lies into your ears, making you think that you're not changing I declared it today, which I believe is what God's word is saying, that is, we have been changed in our spirit, and we are being changed every day, even if we feel like we're not participating in that process massively. The devil will tell you, no, it's not happening, you're wasting your time, you haven't really got it, chuck that all away, just go back to how you used to live. It's much better. Right? That's the second way. The third way. If he can't get you to talk, if he can't talk you into walking away from your faith, He'll talk you into stopping functioning in the body. That's good enough for him. To cause you to become ineffective. To withdraw your lot. And say, ah, I don't do that church thing anymore. I got hurt. Church is not for me. Whoa. Devil's lying to you. Big time. You have a ceiling over your head. That you can't grow past. Because you don't take your place in the body. And the fourth thing that I want to just mention there briefly is he causes us to become complacent with sin. You might struggle with the same sin every single day, but you become complacent with it when you stop struggling with it. When you just say, this is who I am, I'll never be free. Uh, it's not really, there's no point in coming before the Lord and repenting because I did that a million times already. He just doesn't believe me anymore. I don't believe myself. We need to come back to the Lord and repent every single time our hearts point something out to us. Never, 
you cannot be confident before God if you've become complacent with sin. Amen. Let me just read you a little story that you all know very well. Genesis chapter 3. Heard the story of Adam and Eve? Genesis 3, reading from verse 4. Let's have a look at this quickly. So God has said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from anything that you want, but avoid that tree in the middle. Just leave that one alone. That's my tree. And uh, the devil comes to them and basically says, hmm? let's read together. You certainly will not die. This is the devil speaking. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him. I, I want you to just see the steps of how the devil, he is a confidence trickster. You know what a confidence trickster is? They come alongside you and they win your confidence over like your friend, but they have a plan to rob you of something and to steal out of your inheritance. And that's who he is when he comes to you. Adam and Eve were happy in the garden, right? They were happy to serve the Lord and they would have served the Lord and lived in that garden without sinning. But the devil made himself a part of the equation. He came to them. And so the first thing that he did, he said to them, you will not die. So what he's saying is, no, God's deceiving you. He's not telling you the truth. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so now they're thinking, hmm, do you see what's happened right there? A place of confidence to now doubting the goodness of God. Right? And he goes on to say, you will be like God. First he gets him to doubt the goodness of God. And then now the devil is sowing or mis-selling, actually, the benefits of sin. Instead of allowing them to stay in a place of worship and surrender, he's starting to sell them equality with God and bring them to a place of self-confidence. Do you see what's happening now? He's selling them something. Then it says that Eve looked at the apple and it looked good for food and pleasing to the eye. Desire is rising up in, in, in her. Do you see how she went from happy to just be in that place of worship and surrender with God to looking at that apple and thinking, I can't live without that apple anymore. God's trying to keep that away from me. Not only does she sin, she gets her husband involved as well and gives him some. Can you see the pattern emerging here where God wants us to live and worship Him, to draw near to Him, and to spur one another on? In this case, He's drawn people away from God. He's caused them to fall into sin. He's called them to... Your sin impacts the people around you. 
It's not just about you and God. She got Adam involved as well now. Instead of encouraging him, on him encouraging her to stay away, she gave in and she drew him in. Their eyes were opened and suddenly they realized that they were naked. And this is what I want you to see. When the devil comes to sell you something, there's always a hook involved. Immediately after they ate, they realized that they were naked. And what did they feel? Shame. They've never experienced shame before in their lives. How short the sweet taste of the apple. Huh? Sin is stupid. Sin is never ever good for us. Because the devil's not interested in pleasing us. He's interested in hooking us in guilt and fear and shame. Not only did they feel ashamed, they started to make coverings for themselves. Do you see now? Now they're starting to cover up their sin. Now they're starting, as the Bible says, to hide from God. Hey, can you see in a very short space of time how the devil has talked them out of their confidence before their loving God? He is your enemy. Amen. Please don't ever think he's got anything good to say in none of your situations. At no time whatsoever is he interested in your benefit. My last point today, having understood all of this, I want to encourage you to lean in to God. If you know anything about boxing, you know they don't box like this. Leaning backwards. When a boxer boxes, he plants his foot and he leans in and he commits to the blow. Yes, sometimes they get caught. But if you're like this, you're going to get caught every time. If you think of a cricketer, a batsman, this might bore you incredibly. But when you play your shot for forward defense, you put your foot forward and you lean over the foot and you play your shot with your weight going forward. My encouragement to you today, folks, is to lean in and commit to your walk with the Lord. Lean in and commit yourself to the love of God. You have nothing to fear. Fear is not God's plan for you. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. If you feel fear before the Lord, it's because you haven't truly grasped the extent of His love, or you are living in a place of mistrust. I'm being direct today. Because there's no way out of fear but to recognize that you are sinning. You are trusting yourself more than you're trusting God. Yes, you may have been caught by a few blows. Get back on the bike. Get back into the love of God. God has not changed. His love for you has not changed. He is with you at all times. It goes on to say, but perfect love drives out fear. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want you to understand today. I really want you to understand, not just here on a surface level, but understand there's more to what I'm saying potentially than what you're hearing. That God is for you. That he loves you with a jealous, fiery love. That no one can snatch you out of his palm. The only way you get out of his hand is when you step out and say, time, I've had enough. If you have fear in your life, the goal for you is to get to that place where in your heart you know that no matter what, God is for me. That I can do everything in him. That his power gives me everything that I need. That he is my provider in every aspect. I have no reason to fear anything because my God is for me. And when you get to that place, you will live a different way. You will walk with your shoulders back and your chest out, knowing that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you can never fail in the eyes of God. That he is pouring his resources into your spirit and into every area of your life. Your goal is to keep your eye on that line and keep going confident for the day when you meet him and your chest breaks through the tape. I want to challenge, I want you to be challenged today. I believe God's word is very clear for us today. What is it that is causing you to be afraid? How has the devil got that hook in you? We would love to pray with you today. There are folks that would love to begin that journey of discovery, but you really need to acknowledge something today like I do. Fear is not from God. Fear in my life is me expressing a mistrust of God. Fear expressed in my life is me putting confidence in me or something else or someone else. And that is sin. And the first thing we need to do is come before God and say, forgive me, Lord, for trusting me or someone else. I acknowledge today that you're the one who cares for my every need. It's in you that I live and find my being. And out of that place of security and out of that place of rest, we can begin to unravel the lies that the devil has sown into us through our lives and begin to take our place in the body and serve God for his glory to begin to be who he's made us to be because we can't do that if fear lives in us and so today is us acknowledging that the devil is lying incessantly to us but we're not going to listen anymore we're going to take God at his word we're going to walk in faith let me redefine that word for you again today confidence This is God's will for you. Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Boldness and assurance. That's what God wants for you today. And he wants to take you from where you are, if you will let him, 
and bring you to that place so that you can stay in that place so that you can be fruitful in that place your life will change in that place more than you could imagine amen, amen. why walk on your own when you can walk in the peace of God it's subtle sometimes but if there's fear there we need to find out why and repent. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.